Hello, and welcome back to the Anti-Bully Podcast. Today, Detlin and I interview Zoe Raymond, and I just want to put a disclaimer before we get and dive straight into this episode for everyone. So this episode contains some nature that may affect some people in different ways. Uh, Mental health, uh, obviously, this one's going to be a very important one. So if you struggle with anything to do with your sexual health, this has got sexual abuse throughout the episode, um, and also uh, culture and racism. So for anyone that wants to not listen to this podcast, feels like they are not up to it, I do recommend not going through and just listening to our other podcasts. Um, People under the age of 15 or even under the age of 18, if you haven't dealt with this kind of stuff, and it's something that you need to be listening with parent consent or even with a guardian around you, please do that. I also just want to put out there as well, um, here in Australia, we have a lifeline and their number is 13 11 14 for any crisis support, including suicide, which is another thing that we touch on in this podcast. Um, and other places that we can go to beyond um, uh, Bully Zero uh, services like Beyond Blue and here in Queensland where we're based and we're from, we have a number that you can call, which is 13 11 14. And as the Qu- Queensland Government Mental Health Resource Number. Without saying any more, I would love to dive into the next episode of the Anti-Bully Podcast with Zoe Raymond and my co-host, Detlin. Welcome back to the Anti-Bully Club Podcast. Detlin, my man, how you doing? Bro, I am amazing. I'm amazing. I'm fantastic. There's not much more to say than that. <laughs> I love that. I do. Um, we've had some busy weeks. We're leading on to the Christmas period. Uh, you've just done another tattoo expedition, and I got the pleasure of meeting our next guest, Zoe Raymond, a local Aboriginal artist up here in Queensland, for our latest tea on the sunny coast. Bro, I'm actually currently wearing said tea. It rocked up today. Um, I'm actually, I'm super upset that I, did, I didn't get to fly up and do the shoot, but um, I will be organising my own one down here in Melbourne to uh, showcase this great t-shirt. So it's a great fit too, like I really like it, I'm wearing it as we speak. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to get Zoe on this podcast. Me too, me too. And in all honesty, you know, Zoe was one of the first people I thought of when I started this, this podcast. Uh, I know you and I were really trying to, to get her on some of the first episodes. We just wanted to get Zoe's design out there for everyone to see before we actually did this podcast. Uh, and one thing I wanted to say uh, to yourself is, and, and every listener, you know, in that fact, this is going to be a very deep podcast. So for anyone that, look, you know, if anyone that this might trigger, for anyone that this may affect, Zoe has a really deep story that she's going to to talk about, an open, raw, honest uh, experience. So I do recommend anyone that will struggle or has struggled with depression, abuse, sexual abuse, or any of that kind of nature, do not listen to this podcast. Do not listen to this episode. As much as I love the support and Detlin loves the support of everyone that's listening and all the feedback that we've been receiving, 
this one is going to be quite an emotional uh, story. So, Detlin, are you ready for what's going to come next? I mean, man, you know, you can only prepare yourself so much for something that's going to be so deep. You know what I mean? So, like, this is probably the deepest. Like, this is probably the most full-on episode we've done. So, um, I'm excited, but I'm, I'm, I hope that if it can help someone, that you know, we can, it can do great things for them. And and that's where and that's where we're at. So, for, for anyone that is listening, and and it may affect. The, the reason we're doing this podcast is for awareness. We want to create a safe place where everyone feels they can connect. They feel like they can be true. They can tell their own version of what's happened. And, and that's what we're trying to achieve here. So do not get me wrong. This is going to be a powerful one. And it's going to be a massive learning curve for Detlin and I both. But putting a nice little spin onto this whole podcast Zoe has blossomed into an incredible artist an incredible person and I'm truly grateful for the opportunity to have gotten her on board a collaboration with and I'm not going to talk about the t-shirt too much because I really want Zoe to talk about it but um Detlin have you got any last words for anyone before I invite Zoe onto this episode I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I'm just excited to get her on and hear her story and then, like I said, talk about this T-shirt because I'm telling you, like, it is it is quite the T-shirt. I was starting to think you didn't actually send it to me at one point. Yeah, the Australia Post have had some delays. Uh, it's, been, it's been a little bit frustrating. So for anyone that is listening that has ordered something because uh, for the first time ever, I had a website crash after launching a T-shirt. Um, it didn't crash for too long, I've got to admit, and there's worse things in life than having your website have technical difficulties, um, which I've actually said on this podcast quite a few times because we do this all via um, an app called Anchor over Wi-Fi. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those things you can't help. So <laughs> I do I do apologise, Detlin, for the journey of the tea, but it's got there in the end. And for everyone else that's receiving your post, I am super confident you'll be receiving it very shortly. And mate, it's come at the perfect time too, really. Like how, how I was, just before we started recording this podcast, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to quickly check the mail to see if it came. And as soon as I opened it up, I was like, there it is. This is my T-shirt. This was meant to be. It really was. Like, if you think about it in, in hindsight, you were meant to receive the tea that we had this podcast organized. It was, you were meant to, I remember the, the photo you just sent, like, literally 20 minutes ago of you wearing the tea. And as Zoe joins us for, for this stream, um, I know it definitely put a smile on my face. So I mean, I look, I, look, I look pretty cute. I'm just going to throw it out there. I was like, I took that photo. I was like, I look all right. I look good. <laughs> He's been going to the gym. <laughs> He's been going to the gym. We've listened. We've had a few people that are quite buff on the show. So um, I do not blame you one bit. But before we start to blabble, Zoe, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. We just did a little intro. Um giving people a bit of a heads up of what we're going to talk about because even though this is a very positive show, we have a bit of a dark spin with, uh, with, with the way this podcast is going to go because we want you to be open, raw, honest um, about your experiences with bullying um, and yours is it to a different level to, and I'm not comparing anyone's mm. stories or journey, but it's different to the people that we've had on the podcast before. So before we go into 
Zoe, Raymond, the person that you are today and your previous experiences. <laughs> we were just talking about the t-shirt collaboration. I would love you. I was nearly going to take, I suppose, the credit, but I was nearly going to um, <laughs> tell everyone the name of it, the reason and all that kind of stuff. But I'd love for you to tell people what you've designed, the name of the tea and the reasons we've done this. Yeah, so of course, um, obviously the collaboration was all about that anti-bullying. Um, and the design that I created, I named Nawangara, and that means uh, to look after Indian Jabani language. Um, and that's so important to me because I think that that's exactly what we need to do is to look after each other. So in the design itself, it's made up of yarning circles. And there are two separate ones where um, generally you'll have like a men's group and a women's group. And it's just a safe space where you can talk to those in the community um, about any problems that you have or any community. All right, so talking about technical difficulties, Declan, can you hear me okay? Because I have just lost Zoe. I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? I hear you fine. I see there's still a, a green dot on Zoe's name, but... Can you hear me now? You are back. <laughs> Zoe, quick one. Quick one before we continue. Try and find a spot in your house that has the best Wi-Fi connection. Okay, that's going to be my bedroom. <laughs> with, um, with these live streams, so the way we record it, we always try and find the best spot with Wi-Fi because it does have a tendency to cut out. Yeah, okay. Let me get comfy. And once you're comfy, continue with what you were just saying because we were basically up to the part about the, the, the circle, um, about the trust and, <laughs> and the community. So let's get back to where we were. Yeah, so um, the yarning circle. So in Aboriginal culture, you traditionally have your men's group and your women's group um, and they're safe spaces where you can go to talk about, you know, personal issues, community issues and just have a yarn with um, people that you trust in a safe space. But I also wanted it, it to be reflective of access that we have to other services like, um, you know, places like Bully Zero, uh, counselling, anything that's going to help you get through bullying or any mental health issues. Amazing. And it's been an absolute amazing uh, opportunity to, <laughs> to get this happening with you. I mean, when we first met, was the day of the photo shoot, which was, what, two days ago? Yes. <laughs> the next day we launched the T-shirt and... Oh, have we lost someone again? I, Ooh. yeah. No, no, we're back again. We're back, no, no, I hear oh, you go. This, this is gonna be one of them episodes, I think. <laughs> it, it could <laughs> be, it could be. <laughs> Let's it hope could, not. I'll tell you what, it could be worse. It could be, guys. Look, we could we could be going through a lot worse. That's right. But getting back on track, let's hope that this doesn't connect. I'm actually making myself comfortable in the living room, which is where I was before. I started walking up the stairs and <laughs> taking a seat back on the couch. <laughs> um, all right. So we filmed we filmed this shoot two days ago. We launched mm -hmm. the tea yesterday. I want to thank everyone that has supported Zoe, Bully mm -hmm. Zero, and Wilder Hass throughout the process. It has been amazing on my end. The work and the craftsmanship that you put behind this design. I know that you put everything into it, Zoe. So um, without further ado, after all that credit, 
<laughs> I would love to pass the buck over to Detlin. He has a question he asks every guest prior yeah. to the podcast. Well, firstly, I just want to apologise because I was so keen to fly up for that shoot, but unfortunately with scheduling issues, I couldn't get there. Um, That's okay. <laughs> but I have planned with my photographer down here that I'm going to get my own photos. Oh, so, wonderful. Oh, that'll be really cool. So I'm really excited for that one because, like I said, I'm wearing the T-shirt right now and it's warm. <laughs> um, as you know, because I sent it in our little group chat that we had going on. But, um, yes, as Dan said, I asked this question to all of our guests and I think it's a really good one, especially with your with your background. It would be awesome to, to know the answer to this question is – Basically, um, who was your biggest role model or supporter growing up? Oh, okay. So it's interesting because I was recently in an article with a very similar question. Um, For me, I would have to say it was my brother. Um, He has shaped me very much to the person I am today. Um, I credit him a lot. My parents were divorced, so my dad wasn't around a lot. And he was like a father figure to me. Um, I'm a big sci-fi nerd because of him. I'm into gaming. We would hang out all the time. And he was just a really strong male figure in the house. And he was my best friend. And he still is. He absolutely is. But um, I'm definitely the the person that I am today because of him. Yeah, that's unreal. Um, I I can completely understand. Like, I'm a big brother. And uh, mm-hmm. I hope that I can be that role model to my two brothers as well. So that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. Is it, would you credit him to, as to why you got into into art, or is, you know, what, what's what, where did that stem from? No, that was actually my dad. So um, I was about ten years old, and my dad was living in Sydney, and I flew down for a trip, and I had no idea that he was an Aboriginal artist himself, and he sat in his little studio room and. He was sitting there and dotting away and I watched him for what must have been like an hour and I was just so mesmerised by this process and when I flew back home I said to mum I, I need paints, I need paintbrushes, I need canvas, I need to show my siblings this cool thing that dad was doing and they tried it, they weren't interested um, but I took it from there and I have been self-taught ever since. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, so, with with that, have you always just been into your Aboriginal art? Yeah, I, I've always done, you know, arts and crafts in other forms as well. I love anything that's hands-on and creative, but Aboriginal art is just something that I always go back to. I love the fact that you go back to it. Has it got a bit of a a soothing sensation when you do this art or tell us about the the way it makes you feel when you better express yourself yes so i i actually don't have a very good attention span um and i find that art is the only thing that i can really hyper fixate on um and i always joke about if i start a painting i can't go to bed until i finish it so sometimes i will be up very late at night painting but it's so rewarding watching it come together and I just kind of go into another world and I listen to music and I just let it all out into a painting. Um, And then Jim comes into the other side of things where I'm also a powerlifter and I always say that they both balance me because 
I've got this kind of like angry outlet <laughs> in doing weights and then I come and do my painting and that's where I calm down. Yeah, I, I get that. The, the gym is a bit of a release when it comes mm-hmm. to your emotions. Definitely. I'm not artistic by any way or design. <laughs> But in saying that, I design watches. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I absolutely encourage anyone to do any sort of creative outlet, even if they're not good at it. I think that it's just such a therapeutic thing to do. And you're amazing at it as well. I love the detail <laughs> and everything you put in there. Do you reckon you can share with everyone what you've just done career-wise? Yes. So I two weeks ago, I quit my corporate job. I was part-time four days a week and I decided it was the time to take a leap and I accepted a two-day-per-week job as an in-house artist with a local company and then the remainder of that time I'm working for myself and it has just gone wild. (laughs) These past two weeks have been insanely busy. Yeah, wow. So let's uh, let's take a little step back uh, to the bit of a past if, if, if we can. Uh, tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up. Yes. Um, look, this is something I could probably talk extensively about, but um, just to kind of sum it up, I came from a household of divorced parents. My dad lived in a totally different state, so he wasn't really around. Um, so I grew up with a single mum and two other siblings. And we moved a lot. I was, you know, I was born in Perth. I've lived in Townsville. I've lived in Newcastle, Brisbane, Sunshine Coast. I I went to six different schools and we were constantly moving from rental to rental. So I almost had a constant instability in my childhood. And I was always the new person and it had me develop social anxiety really bad. Um, And I didn't grow up with a lot of... um, I guess what I would see is real love. I, I never saw kind of like real love in the household. So it, it was a very chaotic childhood, I would say. It was constantly moving and I had to feel like I had to grow up very quickly. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's, um. I can sort of relate. I used to move around a little bit too, but I was always in the one town. It was really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, did you find that moving around... Like, obviously, you said that you struggled with um, social anxiety, but did you, was a big struggle for you was to make friends, obviously. Like, how long were you spending in each in each town or each part of, the, part of Australia or so on and so forth? Yeah, so to map it out, I was at a school for grade one and then I moved down to New South Wales and I was there for six months. And then I came back up here to school for about two years. And then I was at another school for three years. I then started high school um, at a new school. I was there for one month. And then I moved up to the Sunshine Coast where I finished high school. So very, you know, quick changes in some of them. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's hard to get yourself established and let alone Mm -hmm. settle to break those barriers that you would have had up. Um, Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your experiences with people or kids or teachers. So you're moving, you know, interstate, you're moving from school to school. Were you able to open up to anyone? Was there an influence, whether it was good or bad, in your life throughout this whole process? So I would say there's definitely one school 
one primary school I should say where I made lifelong friends we're still friends to this day which is just beautiful I love that so much um I had a lot of trouble not just being the new kid but honestly being an Aboriginal kid um the school system likes to take us out of normal classes and put us into special classes whether it's for tutoring or certain tests and stuff you kind of feel like a guinea pig and when you're pulled out of classes you have kids who make remarks and you don't realize you're different as a child until these things happen and you wonder why are these teachers treating me differently um it, it kind of made me feel like i wasn't smart enough to be with the normal kids um and it wasn't until high school that i really addressed it and said you know i don't need tutoring and you need to stop pulling me out of class where i'm trying to you know make friends and have a normal school life yeah right no that's um i can completely understand that i yeah i suffered something something very similar in primary school as well where yeah like you said you got sort of put into a place that you really didn't need to be in and like you said it it, it makes it hard to make those friends Mm-hmm. Um, when when exactly do you remember the start of when you started getting bullied? Was it in primary school, obviously with the moving around a lot, <laughs> or was it more high school when people got to know you better, or like what, when when did when do you, can you remember where bullying first really yeah. started for you? Definitely primary school. I think it was grade six. Um, there were these two boys in particular, and they were definitely like I would say outcasts. They would hang around with each other and they were best friends and for some reason they just wanted to pick on me specifically and these are kids that I ended up going to high school with for a month and at one point one of their new friends in high school actually got into a physical fight with me that's how bad it got um but in saying that one of them reached out to me on social media a few years ago and apologized because he felt so guilty about this bullying but um, I think there was a comment made when I was about in grade four um, about my skin colour. Um, I don't remember who that was, but it really started when I was about grade six, I would say. And so when you talk about, so everyone knows now that's listening that, that you're Aboriginal. Zoe is, is gorgeous, guys. She's got the most kindest heart. <laughs> how, how did it make you feel? Because you can't, you can't help or you can't change you know, your skin how you were born what you were born into um were you and don't take this the wrong way but did did it make you feel ashamed did it make you feel vulnerable did it make you feel like you questioned why you weren't born something else like Mm -hmm. as a kid what kind of emotions did you feel you know with them bullying Mm -hmm. you or picking on you because of your skin color yeah so firstly i just want to say that that thought has never gone away even as soon as last week i still think I wonder what life would be like if I was fair skinned, I had blonde hair and blue eyes and was like everyone else. And it it makes me sad because I'm very proud to be Aboriginal. Um, But as a kid, my my mum, she's not actually Aboriginal, but she did a really good job of bringing us up to be immersed in our culture and making sure we knew who we were, where we were from and keeping us connected to community. So being in Brisbane for primary school, was fine because I was surrounded by friends from Sudan who were from Yugoslavia, Sri Lanka, Asia, you name it. We had every kind of person in primary school. 
it wasn't until I moved to the Sunshine Coast actually where I was really in for a culture shock and the words that I heard come out of kids mouths was so hurtful um but I'm the kind of person who I don't believe that people are born racist they've heard things somewhere particularly kids that're going to pick it up from maybe parents or family members and so I just started telling these kids do you know what you're saying do you understand that it's racist and eventually they started correcting themselves and by the end of high school you know we were all such close friends and they would ask me questions to kind of understand what they were saying instead of just saying things and realizing it was hurtful so school was a big teaching point for me in my life as well i've i've never been ashamed of being aboriginal per se but i do have my moments i like i said still have moments where i'm like imagine if i was just like anyone else um you know would i be scared to walk alone in certain situations and you know i've been followed at shopping centers as a kid because i was black and things like that there's a lot of judgment that comes with having dark skin unfortunately no there is there and and we really want to change that stigma and i got to admit i really feel as in australia particularly we're starting to embrace it a lot into our sporting culture yeah. um we definitely are starting to see some changes in schools i know in the workplace they're starting to to make a big culture change as well I, I Zoe, and I don't know if I've told you this, but I have a Dutch Indonesian background with my with my grandparents on my father's side. Um, my bullying was never ever going to be to the extreme that you went through, but I definitely found a bit of racism growing up. And mm-hmm. and the reason I asked the question, did you ever feel embarrassed about it? I remember actually talking to my grandparents and saying are you embarrassed that we aren't Australian and that we live here? Like, it was a question that I asked yeah. them as, I think I was eight or nine. And I remember my oma, my grandma, sitting down and saying, when they first moved here to Australia, they moved to Sydney before they moved to, to mm-hmm. a place called Geelong. And she found it really hard to fit in. Didn't speak a lot of English. Uh, she was telling me that at a bus shelter where you caught the bus, there was actually like a darker skinned side where people sat and then there was like a white skinned side where people sat at this bus shelter. And my Oma said she used to tell my father and his brothers, we're going to sit in the middle because we don't belong on on either side. Mm. Wow. And so... I remember as a kid that sticking with me and when I was picked on next for the colour of my skin, I said, you know what, you can pick on me for my skin but I'm in between. I'm not here, I'm not there, like mm-hmm. I, am my, I am my own person. My, my family told me this, my grandma told me this sort of thing and this, this kid that was sort of picking on me didn't know what I was on about, I probably sounded <laughs> like I was on some kind of chance and high and mighty but <laughs> it gave me strength anyway. That's awesome. So I really want to get a little bit real with you as well. Mm-hmm. I know that we've touched the surface of the culture and the bulliness that you obviously received as an Aboriginal young girl. But you've been talking about, and we've spoken about before, about you being followed because of your skin. Mm-hmm. Tell us about some of those days that you found the hardest. So um, 
for instance, my my brother, he's worked in libraries for many years now, and um, you know, a library is a place where you can get books for free, right? You just need to sign up. Um, and one afternoon, we were picking him up from work. I was with my mum, and I love books, so I just wandered down to one of the aisles to have a look at what was there. And I was wearing a black hoodie, I think, but it wasn't up. I was just, you know, wearing a hoodie. And the security guard followed me through the aisles. And I was old enough to realize why. And when I walked back up to the front counter where my brother and mum was, I told them, I said, the security guard's following me. And that made me feel honestly very sad. It made me feel like this wouldn't happen to anyone else who wasn't a person of colour. And I think I was about 13 years old. And and it's terrible to think that there's a stigma that is literally attached to my skin colour of, oh, I must be a criminal or I must be up to something bad. And there was another instance where a lady asked me what I was doing, like I was working and she asked what I did for a job. And she's like, oh, good for you for working. Um, and this was after she asked me what my culture was. So I'm I'm kind of exhausted of having to tell people that, you know, we as Aboriginals, we are working people. We're not just on the dole. We're not violent. We're not dangerous. And there's plenty of people who um, aren't a person of colour who are, you know, drug addicts and criminals and stuff. And it's just... For some reason, there's a stigma that's attached to me being Aboriginal. And it honestly breaks my heart if I was to put it in words. It really makes me sad. Well, I'm, I'm with you. And I think the majority of the people listening are with you. Where do you think this racism stemmed from? What What's made kids or even young adults think that it's okay or question someone's skin colour that they're a lower class or that they're as you said a drug addict or someone that doesn't work where, where has this stemmed from in your opinion so I definitely think there's two factors here so like I said earlier it's going to start in conversations in the household and people often think that what's happened to Indigenous people was so long ago when in fact it wasn't. Um, My father, for instance, was part of the Stolen Generation. And if you think about that, he's only mid-50s. And so my grandparents were around when Indigenous people were just really looked down upon. So kids probably have grandparents who still instill these thoughts of racism and how how bad Aboriginal people are. So that's certainly one factor. And then media, news, social media, all of it. And I constantly grew up seeing news reports where you would have, say for instance, you had a Caucasian man who got into a physical fight or something. They would just put that down as, you know, man 40 um, arrested for violence or something. But if it was an Aboriginal person, they would plaster that they were Aboriginal, even though that they are just a man as well. So I feel like the media really plays into um, putting labels on certain news stories where they can really point out that we're just these violent people. And it's it's really bad because you've also got social media now on top of that. 
And I think, yeah, well, going back to what you like, the media, I think, is probably one of, like, would go up there with, like, as bad as things like religion that can start wars and all that sort of stuff. Like, I wouldn't put it past a media outlet honestly starting the next world war. Mm-hmm. Like, and it could be blacks versus whites. It could be the Chinese versus such and such. And it, and it, it really is just media is just so toxic. And, and as you said, you're so right. Like, look, I can't relate. I, I'm like my family, like my family have got, could go back in Australia all the way to probably when the English invaded, you know what I mean? Like I'm as unfortunately as white as they come. Um, but at the same time, like I grew up not like to be told, you know, we're all equal. Do not treat people um, with any disrespect, depending like, you know, whether it be whether they be Aboriginal or Asian or whatever, whatever it is, they should never treat someone um, poorly, which I think is a testimony to, to my mum and my grandparents and, and so on and so forth. Because, yeah, you're right. I think it comes from, it really does stem from um, what what is spoken about in the household mm-hmm. as well. You know, as you said, you, you were getting bullied for being, you know, darker skinned in grade six. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you're like, what, 11 or 12 in grade six? Yeah, and, 11. And, prob- and probably even younger that you've probably uh, felt um, that stigma. Yeah. And to me, that's crazy that, you know, a five, six, seven, all the way to, you know, 11, you you have those feelings about someone who's who's slightly different to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose, like, well, what... I, yeah, I don't even really know where to go go from here to be honest, because it's just so like, because it, I, I it's it's a it's an angry topic really. Yes. <laughs> um, where like, what do you think is something that we can do to educate younger children on not to treat people with such disrespect based on their culture? I think really doing your own research i like i said a lot of this information comes from word of mouth or maybe someone's telling a story that's just wrong and then you've got the media so i think getting to know indigenous people and seeing that we really are just the most beautiful culture we are so loving and we want to share our stories with everyone and our art and and our culture um you'll find that we are just yeah really loving people and unfortunately a lot of the anger and the issues within community that we have a bad rap for come from intergenerational trauma so i carry a lot of trauma from my father and my grandparents and i'm still healing from that as well so it it just trickles down and that's where you get you know the crime and the alcohol issues drugs because that's just what it's like in communities and these are things that were brought in outside of um, our culture before colonization so we're still trying to get on our feet pretty much so I think just you know whether you go to local indigenous events go to some like NAIDOC week events or um, reach out to local elders or community groups and just get connected I think just getting your own experience and making your own mind up about our culture is really what's going to change things yeah that's awesome now with on on top of that actually just to add to something to to really educate yourself with is so for me personally 
Um, my Lord and Saviour Zach Efron has actually <laughs> yes. released. Have you like? I've only watched the first episode of the new season of his little mm-hmm. adventures around Australia, but he he did a lot of things with Indigenous people from Australia, and like even he got super emotional. And I was like, like some of the things that I, I don't know if it's based on tribes or how it works. Like oh, I'm a bit naive when it comes to it. I I will admit, but. Watching that episode, I was like, man, like just to embrace yourselves in that culture, like for him, for being an out, like outside of Australia, like he's obviously American, he's come here, he's got stuck here because of COVID, and he's like, yep, let's just do this whole film thing, um, documentary series in, in Australia, and yeah, he's really embraced himself in that Indigenous culture, and it was honestly like that first episode, and I will continue to watch it, but that first episode on some of the things that I watched was just incredible. So like if that's that's something that I did to educate myself um, in, in, in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And I have friends who are you know, currently traveling around Australia and they've ended up in these really beautiful remote communities and they've, you know, reached out to me and talked about how they had the most incredible time and they were taught how to, you know, catch native um wildlife you know food and go fishing and do all these things and they brought them back into their home and you know handing them the kids to have a cuddle with like that's just what aboriginal communities are about you know if you come through they're going to show you exactly what it's like and how how beautiful it is to be a part of those communities as well yeah amazing and can we also just talk about how freaking good they are at football yes Absolutely. We can. Um... Again, like, because me, because I don't know if you know this, Zoe, but um, in Dan's household, he actually currently has a future Hawthorne football star at his in his home. Um, Amazing. As I mentioned every episode, because one, <laughs> he's a gun, and two, he's coming through to the Hawks when he's old enough. But, um, wow. <laughs> but on top of that, like, we have got some of the best Aboriginal players in, in the Hawthorne Football Club. With some being obviously now retired, mm-hmm. one being Sil Rioli. What an absolute weapon he is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, they're just, yeah, I, I would, on a, on a personal level, especially after watching um, that, that, that docu-series with Zac Efron, is I'd love to go and experience some of that um, within Australia because it's, yeah, it's definitely, I've travelled a lot of Australia, but I've never done something so immersed in that in that mm-hmm. culture and yeah it's uh, and again that's that's my fault and I definitely should be more involved with it and I still would really love to because I think it's amazing yeah and I tell you what it's you don't even want to be on your phone so when I've been home I've spent two weeks just with my family and you're just constantly doing things and just embracing being with your family and the community that you just you feel like you're on a remote island um, when you go to those kind of communities because you're just doing so much and having so much fun. You just don't even care what's happening on social media. It's fantastic. And that's good though, because you know, so I think social media is taking over a lot of our lives. I think I, mm-hmm. I've, we've, I've been. Dan will be happy with this. I've been reading the Resilience Project uh, as of late, um, and yeah, that's that talks about um, like the average child and teenager and adult on how often we're using our phones and 
it's yeah it's crazy to me like obviously you know lots of things are on social media like you know dan and i run a business through social media mm-hmm. you know you're an artist and the only way to get your art out there sometimes is through social yes. media um but yeah i think these days we need to start you know putting our phones down and enjoying where we are and i think that's something that i think everyone can learn learn Definitely. from so uh yeah i think it's great Zoe, have you heard of the Resilience Project? No, I haven't, but I am making note of that because it sounds like it's something I would like to read. <laughs> so Kimberly is was a school teacher. She still is a school teacher. Uh, that that works alongside with Woolly Zero, who we who we donate to, um, and she put me onto this book um, and Detlin, and I read it within twenty four hours. Wow. Within the day, um, and carrying on to the next day, mind you, it goes it was roughly a four and a half hour rep. Uh, I just got stuck into it. <laughs> I can relate to so many of the stuff, so much of the stuff that he speaks about, the experiences. And he actually went over to, so outside of Australia, um, I don't want to give the book away too much to you, but he saw how other cultures lived and it made him appreciate the small things that they had compared to what we have here. Um, honestly, have a bit of a read whenever you get time or even download it on an audio book and have a listen to it when you're, you know, at the gym or zoning out or doing something that you don't have to think and you can just relax for a little bit. I found it really soothing and really refreshing. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely noting that down. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Coming back, and I know that we're, we're talking about your Aboriginal culture quite a bit, and I really hope you don't mind talking about it, but creating more awareness around this. You were saying before that it wasn't that long ago uh, how how bad our, our racism actually was, mm-hmm. and you talk about the stolen generation, which were you just saying it was 50 years ago? Um, look, technically, yes. Um I mean, in mainstream media, you probably don't know what else is happening in communities. Um, I still believe it's very much alive and well, as well as racism. But I think the stolen generation technically ended around 1970, I think. Um, But that stuff is absolutely still happening in community. And... Look, I don't, I do not doubt you one bit. I'm sure there is some shady stuff happening, as there always is in politics. And I'm not one to dive into the rabbit hole with it. But with the stolen generation, can you talk about the ripple effect and the effect that it's had on the Aboriginal community? Yeah. So, I mean, I can't talk on behalf of everyone, obviously, but for me, when I was talking about intergenerational trauma, I have this father who has, you know, had a horrific upbringing and it's obviously not my story to tell, but at 17, after going, you know, from being taken as a baby to being, you know, on a mission and then um, being adopted into a family who wasn't the kindness to him, Um, you know, he's forgiven and moved past that, but... Um, at 17 he left for the army because that was an escape the army for him was better than being at home in um, with his adoptive family so when he joined the army 
he was in for about, I think it was 14 years. And then on top of that, he's gone from having this trauma he never got to deal with to then getting, you know, all this PTSD that comes with being in the army in a combat role. And then from there, he was in the New South Wales Fire um, Department for 10 years on top of that. And that comes with more trauma. And so I've seen my dad overcome um, alcoholism. Um, I believe he's been sober about 22 years, a very long time, which I'm so proud of him for that. Um, you know, and everything else that comes with it. And sure, growing up, he he wasn't um, always there, but he has drastically changed his life and he's definitely been a, a role model in my adult years, um, overcoming all of these things. But as a child, unfortunately, all the things that he was dealing with kind of trickled down into our upbringing. You know, our dad wasn't always there and um, he, being the Aboriginal parent, wasn't able to teach us directly a lot about our culture. So we had to rely on mum. Um, so it's this, it's this domino effect almost of with every generation, we just need to keep breaking the cycle and getting rid of this intergenerational trauma that we're just born into. So I have felt every ounce of my father's trauma um, that has kind of been laid on me. And it's really hard to explain how that works, but when you grow up and, and see the things that your own dad has been through and hear the stories, it just breaks your heart, especially when you know that you are in fact an Aboriginal person as well. and. You know how how am I going to be treated if if that's how my dad was treated, as if he wasn't even a human being, which is just horrific. And it's true they weren't treated as equals. They weren't mm-hmm. treated as as human beings. And no. this might not be a question that you can answer, but do you think your dad had walls up and a lot of self doubt when you were younger? Was there? Was it really hard to make a connection with with your father with mm-hmm. without me crossing the line here? No, absolutely. And we have done a lot of talking in recent years about this. You know, we've cried together and we've talked about this pain that he was hanging on to. But I didn't see that as a kid, and and I, I understand why now because I'm an adult and I've experienced my own traumas. And I completely understand what it's like to shut down and put up walls. And and so, although I can't change my childhood, we've definitely worked on um, healing that past relationship together and um, moving forward as well. Yeah, I'm so grateful to hear that. It's, <laughs> I mean, I, I was lucky in a lot of aspects with my father. He, he was actually quite a loving father. Um, and, and I'm not here saying that I had the perfect life because there was lots of things I can talk about and Detlin and I are actually going to organise um, on a few milestone podcasts where we actually interview each other about oh. <laughs> us growing up. So I'll, I'll d- d- dive in on another episode a bit more about me. But I think as a, as a young child, and I know I did... Detlin, I know your father wasn't around as much and your mum was that real strong figure for you. But I, I just know looking as a kid, looking at how strong my dad was and thinking he was invincible. And if I ever heard anyone say something negative about him, how 
you know, how much of an impact that had on me, like how much I wanted to speak up for him or say something, even if it was true what someone said. He was someone that I idolized, someone that I really, really looked up to. And as as an Aboriginal girl growing up, as an Aboriginal father, I could imagine you wanting and needing him and having certain things as a child that you need, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily getting that in return. Yeah, and I I do want to note as well that I don't think he actually met his real family until he was about, um, I'm going to say mid-20s, 27. He was about my age. And so you imagine right now, like I'm 29, I couldn't imagine only meeting my family now. And, And so I was lucky enough to, growing up, I was connected with them. But they're so far away as well that... Um, it's rare that I get to see them. So it's been tough for me about my identity because I'm obviously very proud to be Aboriginal, but I always have this kind of little voice in my head going, am I doing right by my people, by my mob? Do I have the right to be as outspoken about my culture as I am? Because a lot of what I know has come from, you know, other communities and being self-taught and growing up you know within Brisbane and Sunshine Coast people so it's it's definitely kind of broken a bit of my connection to community as well um so that's another part of that intergenerational trauma of not really knowing where you are from and I actually plan on making a trip over in the new year to go back to see my family and really sit down with them and you know paint with my aunties and and talk to them about the stories that I can share and, uh, you know, everything about Yinjibani and Pinakura people. I'm super excited for that because I feel like there's this missing puzzle piece of I've never really had my own connection to Yinjibani and Pinakura, but I have, you know, with my Aboriginal community. And that's something we say a lot. My dad brought me up to always represent my mobs and not Aboriginal people as a whole because we really are just made up of, you know, 200 plus different communities and each of them are quite different in their own ways and their traditions as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, hopefully I'm pushing too many bands. It's, um, do you have much of a relationship with your with your dad's um, foster parents or and are they Aboriginal as well? No, so they, they aren't Aboriginal. Um I don't know much about that side of his family. I know he's still connected with them and I know I've met them at some point or had conversations with them on like Facebook or in in passing on social media, but I really haven't had a relationship with them. Um, I know that my dad is still uh, close with, I think, his adoptive brothers. but other than that, yeah, I really just don't know too much about that family. That's yeah. fair enough, so that's mm. fair enough. It's 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 a hard one, you know. And, and as Declan said, we don't want to cross any lines here uh, mm. and put anything out of context. But we're we're not just curious about all this, but mm. we want to open people's minds up to how hard it was and how hard it still is for not just Aboriginal kids but foster kids or Mm. someone that's grown up outside of their family or their culture and then 
they have a child or they have a daughter or a son and then the curiosity that goes through their minds and connection with family it's it's a big deal to us Mm -hmm. we want to know where we come from we want to know our our heritage we we are so curious you know even myself before i settled down and got married and and had some kids um, my wife and i were engaged and i said i want to go to the netherlands and i want to see Mm. some of my family over there i feel like i hadn't had a connection with a lot of these you know, a lot of my aunties and uncles. Yeah, and I definitely think it's important to make those connections before you go through those big life changes. Um, And so for me, as I step further into becoming an Aboriginal artist, I really want to sit down with my family and make sure that everything that I'm doing is right and and that they approve and that, um, that I'm making them proud as well and that whatever stories I'm telling about my people are correct and I, I want them to be on my side as well and and making sure that everything that I'm saying is correct because even though I'm Aboriginal and I'm very proud I'm still constantly learning as well because of that disconnect growing up and and I'm so proud of you taking that step it's exactly what I went through and mm-hmm. and if there's any light at the, at the end of the tunnel though my biggest fans today are from the Netherlands, like my family that I met. And I told them, like, I want to start a watch business. And I told them, you know, my plans and in the great scheme of, like, what I want to be doing as, a, as an adult. And they were so over the moon with what I was doing and what I've achieved and following my grandfather's footsteps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I know that you're going to receive the same. And it's going to be an emotional roller coaster for you. Um, yeah. I'm so glad that we stay in touch and we talk at least twice a week and uh, I'm always here for you if you are ever having a bad day, especially uh, when you go and see your family. I know that you probably won't be on your phone a lot, but if you ever need to reach <laughs> out, you know I'm only one phone call away. Absolutely. And they're definitely my biggest fans as well. Um, you'll see on my social media, all of my posts, they're always in the comments saying how proud they are of me. and. And, um, you know, they want me to get home so I can go to the local school with them and, and paint some murals and stuff. So I look forward to bringing my work into, you know, my community as well. Amazing. I'm looking Man, forward I to this. Man, I get none of that. I'm sorry. Me and Dentley were speaking at the same time. You go, Dylan. No, I was just saying that, like, you, you guys are like, yeah, my family, like, super supportive, like, commenting on all my posts. I'm like, man, my pa- my family don't even know how to use social media. i got nothing. <laughs> oh, well, that's okay. We'll we'll support you. We'll be your family. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm lucky in that sense. Like, usually, like, well, realistically, any post that I make is for Dan anyway. So, like, he likes all that stuff. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, I'm super lucky with the people that I have in my, in my life as well. And, and, and you were just talking about um, those big moments, like, you know, obviously Dan talking about wanting to go to the Netherlands to see his family before he takes that leap into kids and so on and so forth. And that's actually something that um, my brother and I have spoken about because, as I've said in previous episodes, my brother and I don't have the best relationship with our dad. Um, uh, he usually brings us once a year for our birthdays and, and, and that's it. Um, but we talk about that stuff all the time about, you know, come those big moments like you know when we're going to get married when we're going to have kids or you know when we're going to buy a house and all that whatever those big moments are 
um, on how we approach it with with a dad who's never realistically been in our life, um, especially in our adulthood. Um, if there's something that we've definitely discussed is that we're not, we don't need, we don't need a dad now. Being you know, like I'm I'm 27 now. Um, I'm an adult. I can look after myself for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now that time where if he wants to be a part of my life, it's, it's it's all about being a friend rather than rather than a father, if that makes sense. So yeah, but yeah, those big moments, like yeah, we talk about that all the time, saying like you know, do we try to have that hard conversation about how he hasn't been there for us, you know, throughout some of our big moments, and because it's it's that stuff that I realise that that's not the type of dad that I want to be when I, you know, mm-hmm. eventually have kids. Yeah, and and look, I, I relate as well. My relationship with my parents has honestly been very on and off. Um, you know, a lot of it to do with my childhood. And um, I think that a lot of people put pressure on having to be best friends with your parents or, you know... Um, always being on good terms with them when in reality I'm a big believer that if there's any toxicity in any kind of relationship then it's okay to make that distance and that's something I've had to work on with my parents many times um you know having those conversations like you said more so like on a friend level um and it can be quite toxic you know in certain family relationships and Christmas time for me for instance and my birthday is always very very tough because it's it's usually a family fight breaks out or someone's upset someone says something wrong someone doesn't show up and I go on social media and all I see is people with their beautiful happy families you know both parents their siblings and it makes me very sad because I've honestly never really had that and it's not just because my parents are divorced, but both of them have had their own traumas that it kind of still comes into the picture. And we've never really been able to have, I guess, what's considered a normal relationship or a normal like family gathering like Christmas or events like that. So that's also something I feel like I've missed out on my entire life as well. Yeah, that, that's sad to hear Zoe. and. I know if you become a parent, I know that you're going to put your all into your your child or your children or even mm-hmm. if it's your nephews and nieces or whoever, you're going to make them feel oh, special. My nieces feel and loved. Nephews. Yeah, my nieces and nephews, are, I call them my kids as well. Yeah, I, I am a doting auntie. I've, I've been an auntie since I was 18 and it's one of my favourite things in the world. I actually just went Christmas shopping today and I spent too much money (laughs) um i don't have kids but um i I definitely love spoiling them um and that's a big drive in life you know i am career driven and you know i'm hoping to buy a house next year and all of these goals are about me breaking that cycle and when i am ready to settle down and have kids i want them to come into a world and a household where it's just it's unconditional love and support and I I want them to know what real love is like in in a household so that's definitely a huge drive in in doing what I do I feel that I really do I resonate with it 
So to put into context, can you tell um, our listeners how old you are? I am 29. <laughs> 29, the big 30 next year. I, I know, I know. But it's, a great, it's a great year, Zoe, trust I me, 30 is great. I keep saying that my 30s are going to be the best years of my life and I believe it. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, being 30 is a good turning point. I, I was married at 30. That's when I got married. Um, <laughs> it's when I had Wilder. It's when I launched the business. 30 was a big year for me. Yes. Um, now, enough about me. I want to... What was your... Look, this is going to be a hard one and you don't have to answer it. Um, but what was the hardest moment or a, the hardest time in your life? And it doesn't have to be anything that was racist. It can be just something that happened that changed you to make you the person you are today. Yeah, so... Absolutely, when I was 19, and I can remember this time of my life very vividly because it was it was very dark. Um, I was lost. I, you know, had left school a couple of years prior, and I had no direction. This is when mental health for me really started to rear its ugly head. Um, but I, I just had so much like anger inside of me, and I was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Um, I was drinking a lot and um, when I was 19 my mum kicked me out and I was couch surfing for about two weeks. Um, Thankfully these friends of friends just let me crash on their couch for that time and then I put myself into a homeless shelter for about three, two, three weeks I think and this was during Christmas time as well and I, I will never forget waking up Christmas morning to this cute little package on my bed in in the shelter you know I had like perfume and like makeup and I remember thinking how important are donations this is a big part of why I donate because there's always someone who needs to feel that happiness and once I got out of there and was put into housing I I got my license I got my car um, and I got a job but unfortunately the friends I were hanging out with um, introduced me to a boy who would I guess really change my life Um, both for the better and the worse I would say Um, he was I think five six years older than me Um, and it's really hard to explain and I'm sure there's people who would be listening who would understand what it's like being in an abusive relationship but he eventually isolated me from anyone and everyone and he convinced me to move to Townsville with him Um, so I packed up my life and I left and my family just did not approve they didn't speak to me for a long time and suddenly I was in this town where I knew absolutely no one and everything I did was questioned and monitored you know who was I talking to I was only allowed to go to work and come home and to start with, it was all just, um, it was verbal abuse. I was always being called fat and lazy. And if I got home from work and I didn't cook dinner straight away, it was, this huge fight would erupt. And then when I started cooking, he would turn around and tell me how much he loved me and would be all sweet. So it was very manipulative and draining. And two years went past and I guess this light bulb just went off in my head he was out all night with friends didn't say anything and when he rolled in drunk I I said I'm like I'm done I can't do this anymore um 
and I finally got the guts to leave him. Um, but sadly, it took me two weeks to find my own place and he did force himself on me every night for those two weeks. Um, and then when, um, sorry. <laughs> no, take your time, Zoe, take your time. Just, just, just compose yourself because this is this is essential for anyone that is listening to this to to see the resilience and see the strength that you put out yourself. So yeah, he he wouldn't let me sleep in the spare bed. He would literally come into the room, turn on the lights, and stand over me and just say Zoe, Zoe, repeatedly until I went to bed with him, and then he would do what he did and. Sadly, I didn't know anyone else to help me move, so he helped me move to my new address, which was a huge mistake um, because a couple of weeks later, he went on this drug-fueled rampage where he threatened to come over and smash the car. So I left in a rush, but I accidentally left my door unlocked. So he went into my house and he tore things apart and... Um, I ended up going to the police and because it wasn't technically a break and enter because my door was unlocked, um, they told me to go to the local DV place. Um, so there I was, at, you know, 20 years old, 21 years old, putting in this report to get an AVO. And the lady there, I'll never forget that she made me feel like I wasn't a victim because I had no bruises. Um, I had nothing to show that I had been physically hurt um and that made me feel lower than anything because you're supposed to be in the safe space where you're putting in this report and a lot of my abuse was obviously mental so that made me feel real crappy but fortunately for me when I went to court um he ended up agreeing to everything without having to you know stand up and face him um in the courtroom um, and then that was the last time I saw him in person and from there I just I actually joined the gym and this is where I found powerlifting so I worked with a powerlifter at the time and I joined a gym and it was just this huge release for me I lost a lot of weight I was getting stronger and with every day and every week I just felt like I finally was in control of something for the first time in my life and I've I've been lifting ever since and it still makes me feel that same empowerment um but that was a really really dark time of my life and I would say it wasn't until two years ago when I was about 26 27 that I really came to terms with that relationship and what it was the fact that even though I had been with him consensually before what had happened after I broke up with him was not consensual and was not okay. Um, so, so that's been something, I guess, which is why it's still kind of fresh because um, it, it really does take years to come to terms with sometime. Um, and it's obviously a hard thing to talk about. But um, I think this is the first time I'm talking about it quite publicly, which I'm super okay with. Um, it's actually kind of therapeutic for me, but. But yes, there was certainly a point in my life where I was a very kind of weak person. Um, and I know that people who know me now would would never see me as that kind of person who would, 
you know, be under some sort of control of a man, but it really changed me. And that's when I refused to ever be homeless again, where I refused to ever be in an abusive relationship, to be without a job. And, and here I am today, you know, I've lived independently for a long time and I've, I'm now living my dream career. And yeah, so although I obviously don't ever wish going through something so horrible ever again, it definitely helped build a lot of my character and kind of put me on this path of, you know, enough is enough. Um, no one should ever live like that. Zoe, the first thing I want to say to you is I am so sorry for a 21-year-old to go through that kind of abuse. Mm -hmm. Second thing I want to say is how proud of a person I am for the person that you are today. And you have one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen from <laughs> anybody that walks so proud. And the resilience that you have inbuilt in your own body, your mind, your soul, and the determination. I know that you're going to get through anything from now on. And for anyone that is listening, for anyone that can relate, Zoe is like, this is the first time Zoe's really spoken publicly about it, but she's so approachable. If you, <laughs> There are help services. I'm not saying reach out to Zoe if you're growing in something similar, but if you need to talk to Zoe or you feel like you want to reach out, we're going to be leaving Zoe's details in the show notes, her Instagram, her website, anything that obviously can help you. Zoe, are there any... Is there any charity or anything that you, I know that you said that when you were homeless you received that makeup kit and mm -hmm. how much it meant to you? But are there any support services that you can recommend going through any trauma, victim of of anything abuse that mm -hmm. has helped you or that you know is an avenue that you can go through now? So sadly for me, um, I was never really connected with DV services because, like I said, it was it was brushed off by the the support system. Um, so I never really felt that I was a victim until recently. Um, so I, I don't, unfortunately, in that aspect. But um, honestly, if you can donate any clothes you don't wear anymore to local shelters, like women's shelters. Um, you know, coming into Christmas, if there's any gifts for women who might be escaping violent situations with their kids, just little things. If you look around your house and there's things you just don't need, I can guarantee that there's someone out there who needs, you know, that bag of clothes you're holding on to. So maybe skip the op shop, maybe find your local women's shelter and, and take some spare clothes that you have down because there are literally women out there who run out with the clothes on they have on their back and that's all that they have when they leave a, a situation like that. So clothes, um, you know, baby supplies, things like that, so important for shelters. Amazing. Um, yeah, just oh, on top of what Dan said as well, like not only, yeah, everyone should be super proud of you for what you've done and obviously that we are so sorry for what you've had to go through, but also you know you have you should also but we commend you on you realizing that you're in a bad situation and you made that decision to get out because there are so many women out there who are in these situations um 
who are too scared to leave and hopefully mm-hmm. some of them can listen to this podcast and go wow like i'm in a, i'm in a crappy spot yeah oh, I, I should do something about it uh, because yeah like you said it's scary and obviously you know it's shaped you to who you are but no mm-hmm. no one deserves that sort of stuff no one deserves that absolutely and i honestly i can't even tell you what it was that made me have that light bulb moment but i'm so grateful for it because i don't doubt that it would have become more abusive and physically abusive um especially when he was getting into heavy drugs um and i know that having kids can make things a bit difficult but i promise you you can get out and there are ways around it Please take note, guys. You're not alone. There, we donate to Bully Zero. Now, the the Nuangara. I really hope I pronounced that right, Zoe. The Nuangara, technically, but yeah, that (laughs) was fine. (laughs) I've been practicing. Believe me, practicing every day since you've made this design to try and. And Zoe, don't worry. He's been practicing how to pronounce my name pretty much since we met. So that is that is also true. We'll probably get into a little bit of my speech impediment I had when I was a kid as well, actually, in one of the episodes. But I'm I'm striving to obviously get every word right. My wife supports me when it comes to some words I can't explain. She actually goes right through the pronunciation, which I'm really grateful for. That's so sweet. She's really sweet. Um, but look, with this T-shirt, for anyone that's listening, Zoe has created it. This is Zoe's vision. I'm only a brand that is selling it. We are donating $3 to Zoe Raymond, the artist. We are donating $2 to Bully Zero, which is a charity that I still firmly believe in that is helping young kids when it comes to being bullied and hopefully before they become a victim. So for anyone that is listening out there and you want to donate to any party or a charity that you believe in or you want to donate some of your belongings or clothing that you do no longer need, have a bit of a look, have a bit of a search, make sure that you're doing the right thing, not just by you, but by the, the charity that you're going to support. And Zoe, on behalf of me and Declan, I know Declan's going to say something after this anyway, but I just want to thank you so much for jumping on here, for making a connection, not just with me, but with the show and the Anti-Bully Club and everything that we stand for. And I'm really looking forward to what we're going to create in the near future. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. And yeah, and just one last thing, Zoe, um, where can, or if so, can we purchase your art? So yes, um, during the holiday period, I will be shutting down my website temporarily and rebranding it. I am going to put every effort I can into creating digital prints because I know that there's people out there who want my art but not, might not be able to afford a commission piece. So keep an eye out on my Instagram, which is Wardera underscore art, will obviously be tagged in the post. Um, but during early next year, I do hope to have more product for people to purchase, but I am working very hard to do that for everyone. Uh, but feel free to reach out to me if you are after a commission piece and I will try and make time for that as well. Yeah, amazing. I think I'm definitely going to have to jump on and grab some art. I'm currently um, making my house a bit more colourful and more more homey. So, like, I always use extra art in my my house. So, I will be keeping an eye out as well. 
Yes, I love colour in my art, as we've seen. <laughs> and Zoe, I'm building a house at the moment and it's got blank walls galore, so I'm going to have to give you a tour and get your idea on what we can do. Let's do a feature wall. I've always wanted to do one. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, you're just going to be a goosebumps. Can it just be a portrait of me, but like... Yes. We will we'll make it Aboriginal colours and themes and mm-hmm. stuff. I reckon that would look really good in, in your house, Dan. I'll get that tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> I know a shop. I know a shop who'll do it for free. <laughs> we, I think we said that in a previous episode. Um, yeah, so don't was, don't be making silly like promises to things that I can I can provide. I'm probably going to end up with a Detlin tattoo. Let's just face it. Let's You'd just be rude, not I'm just, I'm just putting it on air. Detlin's paying for it. I'm coming down to Melbourne, and I'm, it's going to get tattooed on my left calf. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so in on this. <laughs> Zoe, it's, it in now. it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Likewise. much for giving us some time. I have really learned oh, so much about you, <laughs> Aboriginal culture, your art, and and sexual abuse. And mm-hmm. I, it's a hard word for me to pronounce, but thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm... I am so grateful that I've met you and that you've come along this journey and I am one of your number one supporters. Oh, I love that. And it's it's my pleasure. And I just hope that, you know, being able to talk about this stuff, even if we can help one person, then I, I will feel elated. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, again, as Dan said, thank you so much for jumping on. I, I learned as well. And I'm I'm definitely going to try and learn more about the Aboriginal culture without a doubt. Love it. (laughs) Have a good night, Zoe. You too, guys. See you later. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.